welcome to Victory. We're so honored that you're with us this weekend. My name is Paul Doherty. I serve as pastor here. If you're new, uh, my wife and I would love to meet you sometime. This weekend, we're out of town, but we have an incredible message for you from Pastor Caleb Worley. Pastor Caleb oversees our Bible college as well as he oversees our global reach. So we're so excited for what God's gonna do in your life this weekend through the Word of God. Come on, let's give Jesus a hand this morning in the 11 a.m. service. You can do better than that. I think you should stand on your feet. I think you should clap your hands. I think you can lift your hands. I think you can shout. I don't know, do you wanna go there this morning? You wanna just have church as usual? Did you show up just for ritual or routine? Or did you show up because you want God to move in your life? Come on, you don't have to wait till the end of the message to respond. You don't have to wait until somebody gives an altar call for you to have an encounter with God. The last time I checked, the Bible says where two or more are gathered together in my name, then he's there in the midst. Come on, just lift your hands and close your eyes right now all over this place. We sing the songs, but do we believe what we sing? We pray the prayers, but do we believe what we pray? Come on, invite heaven to come down right now in your life. Come on, just right now all over this place. Father, we invite your presence into our lives, into this place. We know that you inhabit the praises of your people. So Lord, come and live inside of this place right now. We know you're in us, but we ask for the manifest presence to come around us. We ask like we hear in the book of Acts for the times of refreshing, that those times would be now and here in this place. Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you. We ask you to do something new and fresh in us so that you can move through us. And at the end of it, we're gonna to continue to give you the glory for what you have done. If you believe that, give him a shout today. <laughs> you believe that? You believe it. <laughs> All right, give somebody a high five. Man, I don't know if you came ready today or not, but we're gonna go somewhere. And God wants to take you somewhere. He wants you to, to experience something. And this is a great place. We're in the house of God. What an amazing church that we get to be a part of. Four people. What an amazing church we get to be a part of, CJ. You know, God could have placed us anywhere on the planet, but he decided to place us here. He, he could have selected for you to be anywhere, but you're here on a divine assignment and God has something for you. I haven't even started preaching yet, but I want to get you fired up this morning because, again, we're going to go somewhere. Anytime I know that you go on a journey, Sharissa, then you, you got to prepare for the journey. So I'm preparing you for a journey of where God wants to take us today. In the next 35 minutes, we're going to get somewhere so that your life can be changed and different, not through a place, not because of a person and not just through a song, but because of the one who changes everything. You know, what an honor and a privilege to be here today. And uh, I want to honor our pastors, Pastor Paul and Ashley. They may be watching us online, wherever they are today as they're taking this day of rest. Come on, can we honor your pastors today? 
We love them. We're grateful for them. We have an amazing team of people here. And I also want to give a shout out to all the staff, all the Dream Team volunteers that serve on a regular basis. They serve you. Come on, can we give a shout out to all of our AV, all of our kids workers, all of our Dream Team in the lobby, those in the parking lot. Come on, somebody parked your car for you today, helped you get into that spot. I'm grateful for that team. I'm grateful for the work of God in this place. And you know what? There, there's a specific assignment on your life. There's something great God wants to do in you today because there's more greater things that he wants to do through you. You know, this is Reach Weekend as we've been celebrating the things that God is doing around the globe, here locally, but also internationally. And this year we have this 12 and 12 projects, these 12 projects of children's homes and schools and water wells. And sometimes we can get lost in the natural uh, situation of, of what we're producing and we forget that it's actually not about buildings or wells or food or, or shoes or whatever the natural things are. It's about people's lives. It's about the fact that we have an opportunity to give and when we give that here in Tulsa it goes into an account and then money is sent all the way around the world and then a building is erected or food is given, a well is dug and then someone's life is transformed forever. Because it's in those environments that they can hear about Jesus. It's in those environments they can be taught the word of God. It's in those environments they can re receive healing in their bodies. It's in those environments they can have a touch from the Holy Spirit. It's in those environments that, that they can move from darkness into light. What an amazing thing that we get to be a part of the kingdom of God that is expanding on the face of the earth and you and I get to be part of that. Why do I share that with you? Because sometimes we can over, uh, overestimate or, or undervalue the things that God can do through us just by simply giving and being obedient. We have an opportunity to give. It, it's because there's someone that's crying out. There's someone that's hurting. And what a privilege that God allows us to be part of the process. He's spirit, but we're flesh. He uses us. We're part of the process of his end time work here in this earth. He uses you and he uses me. Why do I share that with you today? Because I want you to contextualize and personalize the work that God may want to do in the earth and realize that it starts with you. God wants to do a great work in the earth, but it's going to start with you. Corporately, we love the outpouring of God, but individually, we need to cry out for it like never before. We need to cry out for God to move in the earth, but understand that God first wants to start in us. And that's my prayer for us today. So here's my challenge. Would it be okay with you if God spoke a word to you through the power of the Holy Spirit that would give you the breakthrough that you've been looking for, the answer that you've been crying out for, the freedom that you desire, would it be okay with you that before you walked back to your car today that God would deliver to you through the power of the Holy Spirit exactly what you need? Would that be okay? And I believe deep down in your spirit that's why you came to church today. I believe you came with an expectation and a hunger and a desire for God to do something on the inside of you. Would it be okay that if the Holy Spirit delivered to you in a moment what you couldn't gain in a lifetime, would it be worth it? That's what he does. That's what he does. He delivers what heaven has to your life. 
Your intellect can't take you there. Your ability can't get you there. But you know what? The Holy Spirit can take you and he can deliver things. He can set you free. If your willpower and your mental ascent was enough, Jesus would have never had to come. If you're smart enough to figure it out on your own, Jesus would have stayed in heaven. But the last time I checked, he came for the whole earth. He came for the lost and the broken. He came for you and he came for me. He did it because we couldn't get to that place on our own. No amount of diplomas on the wall, no amount of money in the bank can take me to that place. Jesus can take me to because he connects me to the Father. And it's in the Father that I have fullness. It's in the Father that I have life. It's in the Father that I have prosperity and joy. It's in the Father that I can live with an eternal perspective. It's in the Father then that I can understand my purpose and calling here on the earth. You can't get there by yourself, but in his presence, you can get there. When the Holy Spirit speaks, you can get there. When you understand what the word says and you apply it to your life, that's when things can change. You see, today I have this proposition for you that you probably don't need more information. We have Google. We have YouTube. We have libraries full of books. We have historical documents from the past that we can look at and we can gain, Raymond, we can gain information. But the last time I checked, information doesn't transform. We need the word of God, which brings transformation. Why is this important? Because the word of God, as it's preached, proclaimed, heard, understood, and applied into our lives, it's the thing that transforms. Romans 12 and verse 2 says that we need to renew our minds. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds with his word. So the word of God is powerful. The Bible says it's sharper than any two-edged sword. In that day and age, the two-edged sword was the sharpest, sharpest thing on the earth. It could cut right. It could cut left. It could divide. It could do exactly what it needed to do in, in times of war. Well, the word of God is more powerful than that. The word of God can transform even the hardest of hearts. It can fix even the most difficult of situations. It can, it can bring restoration in the hardest of situations. This is my prayer for us today because some of you are going through difficult things. Some of you are in the middle of stuff in your marriage or your business or with your kids or in your own mental capacity. You're dealing with oppression or guilt or torment. And you've come in and you desire God to do something in your life. And the word of God actually produces change. Did you know that I can't actually produce any change in your life? This church in itself, the building, it can't actually change and transform your life, but the Word of God can. And the Spirit of God can transform you. If you're ready for that, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. We get excited for the reading of the Word. I believe we're going to go somewhere today. Luke chapter 5. Hopefully we'll get there. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. So it was as the multitude pressed about him to hear the Word of God. Notice the posture of the people as they were ready to hear from the master. They weren't pushing away. They weren't walking the other direction. They weren't, okay, sirrah, sirrah. They weren't, oh, business as usual. No, no, no. The Bible says they pressed towards him. They pressed against him. They were eager with anticipation that the master could change everything in their life. The Bible says they pressed so close around him, he had to step away from where they were, get into a boat, and then begin to teach the people. Your posture will help determine the promise and the reality in your life. You say, well, I want God to move. <clears throat> Just let him move in my life. If he wants to move, he can move. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute. 
if your posture is, okay, God, impress me, you might just sit there. God may move in other people, and you're sitting there, well, I've never been touched by God. God's never done anything great in my life. Sir, ma'am, maybe you need to change your posture. Well, he saved me 45 years ago, and he hasn't moved since. Well, well, wait a minute. Does that mean he's not moving? No. Maybe you just need to move. What if God wants to do more than you realize, and your posture has just been wrong? Maybe you've just said, okay, you say he's the God that can do anything. He's the God of miracles. Well, he's never done a miracle in my life. Maybe you just need to change your posture. Maybe you just need to get in and say, okay, God, I'm expecting. I have sickness in my body. I'm expecting you can heal me. I have a need in my life. I'm expecting that you can provide. I, I need help with my children. I'm expecting that my children are taught of the Lord and great is their peace. I'm expecting they'll be sent out as arrows into the far corners of the earth. I'm expecting that your word is true. It's alive that everything I put my hand to prospers. I'm expecting that where I, wherever I go, I prosper. I'm expecting that you are moving heaven and earth on my behalf. I'm expecting I have the mind of Christ. I'm led by the Spirit of God. I'm expecting that I hear your voice. Maybe your posture actually has more to do with the promises becoming reality in your life than you've realized. So in this situation, we see the people were pressing in and then Jesus said that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and he saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. We know him later on as Peter. And it said he asked him to put out a little bit from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from his boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Isn't that interesting that your answer can be right in front of you, but your response many times is to make excuses. Isn't it interesting that you come in sometimes to the house of God and you say, God, I need a miracle. And then when you hear about God doing miracles, you say, well, it doesn't happen in my life. And you wonder why it doesn't happen in your life. But then something shifted in Simon. Something shifted because we notice it by his speech. It's also interesting that your speech directs your life. Your speech is an indicator of where your heart is. The Bible says that as a man thinks within himself, so is he? And, and it says that faith is exemplified by what we say. The spirit of faith is I believe and therefore I speak. So even though he said I had toiled all night and caught nothing, nevertheless, at your word, I'll let down my net. I'm going to do this, but I'm not doing it on my knowledge and my ability. I'm going to press into what you've said, but I'm not doing it because I know what the result should be. I'm doing it because you said there's power in following what he says. Nevertheless, I'll let down my net. And then we see a miracle. It says, and when they had done this. So there's some things that you need to do. You'll get that later when you get home. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. And their net was breaking. So they signaled the partners in the other boats to come help them. And they came and they're... Boat began to fill too. Both boats began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw it. It was at this moment it went from natural to supernatural. 
It was at this moment he, he stepped out of being the fisherman who knew everything about how to fish and he realized that God was working a miracle right in his midst. And the Bible says that he saw it and he fell down. Isn't it interesting that when God does something, there's usually a response that's required. God did a miracle in his midst. The master gave the instruction. Then it says he saw it and his immediate response was he fell down. He fell down at the knees of Jesus and he said, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. And then it says, and all who were with him, everybody say all. all. All who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. The word of the Lord for us is simple and it is this, and it is experiencing a personal revival. Experiencing a personal revival. Simon, who later became known as Peter, one of the great disciples that followed Jesus, the one who had the revelation that Jesus was the Christ, and Jesus said, upon this revelation that I'm the Christ, then I will build my church. And he spoke to Peter later on. He said, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. Simon was transformed in that moment from an ordinary fisherman who had caught nothing to now someone who saw God do a supernatural miracle, and he was never the same. He had a personal revival. What would it look like in your life if you experienced a new revival in your relationship and your understanding of God? What would it look like in your family if, if you had a personal revival with the Holy Spirit different than what you've had before? What would it look like in your life if, if you had a personal revival with the presence of God and the person of Jesus in a greater way so that you don't just look at your life from the aspect of the salvation experience that I had once at an altar, in a church, or wherever you were, but that you can look through the lens of look what God is doing now. I wonder what that would look like. Let me ask you this. If you had a greater personal revival in a new and a fresh way, no matter how much you know about God or no matter little you know about God or how great your experiences with God have been, do you think if you had a new experience of revival, God reviving some things in your life, do you think situations and circumstances in your life would change? 100%. Do you think your family would change? Do you think your business would change? Do you think your finances would change? Do you think your health would change? Of course they would. When you look up this definition of revival, it's simply an awakening it's a renewed interest or attention or the understanding of being revived. So I wonder if a few thousand people on a Sunday morning here in this place or several thousand that may be watching us online right now, I wonder if you simply begin to ask God for a personal revival. I wonder what would happen. I wonder how things would begin to change. Because what I see in this story is a crowd of people that were pressing in, but an individual who had an experience with God. That helps me to understand that God, he moves in a crowd, but he always uses individuals. You may be here and a thousand people say, okay, God's never done anything. Well, maybe you just need to ask him to do it in your life. You see, the last time I checked, it's one thing to be a spectator, but it's something far different to participate in what God is doing. If God's going to move on the earth, I'm just determined in my heart that if God's going to move on the earth, I don't want to watch it. I want to be part of it. 
How about you? From this story, we see a few things about how God can bring a personal revival in our lives. We see that Simon in this situation, that he had to cooperate with the instruction of what Jesus was saying. So that helps me to realize about three things from this story that I want to share with us today. And the first is that to experience a personal revival, it may require, get ready, sacrifice. Jeremy, would you come and just hop in the boat? You're going to be Peter today. To experience personal revival, it may require, it's an open book test, <laughs> sacrifice. Now, I know when we talk about sacrifice in the modern 21st century church that we can watch online or we can download and we can watch it on YouTube or we can sit in a comfortable pew like we have in the movie theaters. I know sometimes when you talk about sacrifice, it's not always easy for our ears. In fact, when you just say the word or hear it, something on the inside of you goes, uh. It's almost like when you talk about money or giving. Uh. Why? Because you know it's going to cost you. But do you think the master of everything, the creator of heaven and earth, if he asked you to give or if he asked you to sacrifice, do you think he's trying to push you down? Do you think he's trying to take things from you? Or do you think it could possibly be that he's trying to elevate you? Could it be that your sacrifice is actually the thing that is needed to help you get to the place that God has intended you to be? But sometimes we don't even realize that it may cost us something. So here in this story, we have Peter who owns a boat. The Bible says that he was over there tending his net, just washing it. And then all of a sudden, the master comes. And the master says, hey, can I borrow your boat? This guy is a carpenter turned rabbi, and now he wants to take my boat. <laughs> the Bible says that he asked Peter for the boat. He didn't take the boat. See, this is where some of us think God's just going to do whatever he wants to do. If God wants to move my life, by golly, then he'll just do it. No, 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 no. It requires participation. It, it requires agreement. Here's something that it, it, it doesn't always make sense in my mind, but it is a true reality, and that is this. The God that can do anything still can't do one thing, and that is force you to follow him. I mean, he could, but he doesn't. He could force you, but then you would just be an angel. You would be the created being that just does what it does, but he actually wants you to choose to follow him. He actually allows us to be part of the process, and I'm grateful for it because that means that there's a part that I have to play in seeing God move in my life and through this earth. He's not just going to do it automatically, even though Jesus paid it all. Sometimes we sing the song, Jesus paid it all, so much that we forget there's going to be a cost. Well, he paid it all. If he paid it all, what do I have to do? You probably have to follow him, you probably have to give, you probably have to sacrifice. Well, he paid it all. No, he paid it all for your salvation, but you walk out that salvation with fear and trembling. You walk it out in faith, and faith without works, without follow-through is dead. It's meaningless. I don't remember. CJ, you talk about sacrifice. Everybody gets quiet. They get sitting back in their chair. 
But the Bible says that he asked him for the boat. And Peter, he said, all right, push out from the shore. So Peter, in the boat with Jesus, pushed out from the shore. The master taught the people from the boat. We don't know how long it was. So try to put yourself into this situation. Here he had fished all night and caught how much? Nothing times nothing equals so he's sitting there with, and now he's in a boat with a rabbi for probably a few hours, because every time I read in the Bible when Jesus taught, sometimes it was all day. Can you imagine what was going through his mind? Who is this guy and why is he in my boat? Couldn't have you taken my friend's boat? I'm so far away from why I came here t today. I came here to, you know, just catch some fish and I caught nothing. Now I have to listen to this guy talk about the kingdom of God, talk about all these things I don't have no, any understanding of. All the while, he's actually inching closer to his miracle. Discouraged, frustrated, but yet he was sacrificing. He was sacrificing his time, his boat, his talent to drive that boat. He was sacrificing and that sacrifice actually helped him to be in position for his miracle. What if the revival that God wants to do in your life is on the other side of your sacrifice? What if, like Genesis says in chapter 8, that as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and the seed time is sacrifice. Because you take what you have and you sow it into soil with an expectation that hopefully it will produce. But when you sow it, you don't always see the harvest right away. But the Bible gives us a promise as long as the earth remains. There's going to be sacrifice time or seed time or generous time. And then there'll be harvest time. What if through your sacrifice there's actually a miracle on the other side. What if through your serving and through your giving, God's not trying to deplete you, he's trying to expand you? What if through your obedience to what God says, he's not trying to take from your life, he's trying to add to your life? What if we're looking, AJ, at sacrifice in the wrong way? What if we're looking at it through our lens instead of through his? Last time I checked, I want to have his perspective, not my own. So I noticed this even in my own life. Many different times where I can look back and I can recognize God wanted to take me to a place, but it cost me something to get there. I was talking recently with a pastor. They're having revival in Uganda where we were a few weeks ago. And he said a lot of people pray for revival, but few want to pay the price. A lot of people want God to move, but... Not so many wait for him to move. We try to picture God's going to move in this way. And he's going to work it out like this in my life. We plan what God's already planned. How foolish is that? Okay, God, I want you to move, but do it this way at this time frame with these people and go for it. What if God has a plan that's better than yours? In fact, 
The last time I checked, the Bible says his thoughts are not your thoughts. His ways are not your ways. In fact, his thoughts are higher than yours. His ways are greater than yours. What if God has a plan of breakthrough for your life that you know not of, but through your sacrifice you could get there? So when he asks me to give something, I should get excited. When he asks me to sacrifice, I should feel honored that he wants to take me to a place that I haven't been yet. I've noticed this so many times, and I just want to share this with you because I believe that sometimes we're missing out on what God may want to do in our lives, all while we have exactly what we need. We just sometimes aren't willing to give it. I remember about 14 years ago, we were preparing for an outreach in Kenya, East Africa, and I was coordinating these trips, and we got a team together, and then I was talking with the contacts, and we committed to do this citywide outreach and, you know, this big open-air campaign. The problem was I'd never done this on my own before. The church wasn't paying for it, and I didn't have any money. I just made the commitment. So I remember going to my father-in-law, Pastor Billy Joe at the time, sharing this with him, and he asked me a question. He said, who made the commitment? I said, I did. He said, great, then figure out how to pay for it. Jesus paid it all, but apparently my father-in-law doesn't want to agree. <laughs> I thought, well, I'll go to my boss. So I went to my boss, and that was Daniel's dad at the time. I said, you know, Terry, hey, we got this outreach, great opportunity. He asked me the same question. He said, who committed to do it? I said, I did. He said, great, then God's going to help you to pay for it. That was not the answer I was looking for. So I did what most Christians do in situations when you don't know what to do. I did nothing. You've been there before. Oh, God, I need a miracle. What am I supposed to do? I don't know. A few weeks go by. A month goes by. It's getting closer to the time we're supposed to do this outreach. I've made a commitment. People are going to be there waiting. They're ready to receive the money. When we get there, I don't have the money. I'm newly married. My wife's pregnant. You know, we just bought our first house. I'm looking at the bank account. I just started working here at the church. I don't have very much money. I got a few hundred dollars. I need several thousand. Now, I remember as I prayed, the Lord spoke to me, and he said, well, just give what you have. And I thought, well, a couple hundred dollars isn't enough for these people in Africa. They're expecting a lot more than that. And the Holy Spirit said, no, 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 just give what you have. And I looked at my life, and I thought, well, what do I have? The only thing paid for that I had was a car. A 1996 white Chevy Camaro that my dad gave me that I was so grateful for. That's all I had. But when I thought about it, they didn't need a car. They needed money. Surely the Lord was not asking me to sell my car. He wouldn't do that. Why? Because that would take sacrifice. I need my car. I mean, I have a wife. I have a job. I like driving on my own. Those of you that are married, you'll get that. Sometimes it's helpful. It's great to drive together. It's great to drive alone sometimes. You get there on time. If I'm late or she's late, you make it on time. Okay, side story. Pastor Billy Joe said it saved his marriage one time when they got two cars. They could actually make it to church on time. So just kidding. Just ask Pastor Sharon about that one. I don't know who was late. Before I dig myself into a hole, let me finish the story. Or maybe I'm already in the hole. So he asked me to sell the car. Reluctantly, I went to Walgreens. I bought some white shoe polish, and I wrote for sale with my phone number on the back of my car. I didn't want to list it in the Tulsa world because maybe I would sell it then. 
Come on, you know what I'm talking about. God asks you to do something, and you're like, okay, I'll give you to you. I'll surrender. I'll sacrifice, but not that much. It's like you just crossed the line, but you don't want to go fully in. That was me. I parked it in maybe center parking lot. I'm not suggesting you do that. I later found out you're not supposed to do that. Thankfully, it was on Memorial Day weekend. It was a holiday. Security didn't tow my car that day. I got two phone calls that Monday, Memorial Day, about two weeks before we were to leave on the trip. Two people wanted to look at my car. I met them later that night in the parking lot, and uh, they looked at the car. One of the two guys looked at me and said, hey, this is exactly what I want. I would like to buy the car. And I said, okay, great. Well, when would you like to buy the car? And he said, well, how about right now? He reached in his pocket. He grabbed a wad of money, and he handed it to me. He said, hey, can I buy the car right now? I took the money. He drove off with the car. Now I was left in a parking lot with no car but a handful of money. I called to get a ride from my wife. I had to explain the story to her, and she's like, well, praise God, you got the money. And I'm not thinking about the money. I'm thinking about I don't have a car. <laughs> Two weeks later, I went to Kenya, East Africa, paid the money for the outreach, and for two days, people gathered in a field, not hundreds, but a few thousand. And by the end of that time, 18,000 people were standing in an open field hearing about Jesus. And as we gave the altar call for people to respond, over 3,000 people accepted Jesus in those two days. And you know what? In those moments, in, in, in those times, I didn't think about the car. I was actually grateful in that moment that I could be part of the process of seeing God's kingdom expand in the earth. And I often think to myself, what if... I would have just held on. What if I would have just thought, no, I'm not going to sacrifice. I'll tell you what, there will be some people that are not in heaven today. You don't realize what may be on the other side of your sacrifice or your giving. But friends, I can tell you this. I can't take that old car with me to heaven. I can't take a new car with me to heaven. I mean, God's given me cars since then. I have a car that I drive now. That wasn't the issue. God was asking, would you just give what you have and then watch me do a miracle? I wonder for each of us here today, what is it that we may be currently holding on to that could produce a miracle in someone else's life? What is it that we may have been entrusted with because we're stewards? What is it that may be in the form of our money or in the form of our abilities or in the form of the things God has entrusted to us to steward? What is it maybe that God maybe asking us to release or to let go of or to sow or to, to just watch him do a miracle, just to let go of those things. What could be on the other side? I could tell you what's on the other side is people. What's on the other side is a miracle. What's on the other side is a breakthrough. Now, I know maybe you're like I was and you're thinking to yourself, well, I need a breakthrough in my marriage. What's giving going to do? I need a breakthrough in my business. How is sacrifice going to help me? I need a breakthrough in my health. Are you telling me that letting go of what I have and following what God is asking me to do, sacrificing in some way, do you think that's going to produce a miracle or a breakthrough in my life? And I would say yes. Because as long as the earth remains, there's a seed and there's a harvest. You see, Peter gave up his boat and his time, his ability in a few hours. 
And then in a few moments, he had more than he could contain. Could it be that God wants you to release what you have so that he can release over your life what he has? When that happens, you know what? You experience a personal revival. The second thing I noticed from this story is that there's an element of trust that is important in the process. When Peter received the instructions when he was in the boat and Jesus said, okay, I'm finished. Now you ready for your miracle? Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets for a catch. There's an important aspect of trust that's vital for the process for us to experience a personal revival. We have to trust that he knows more than I do. We have to trust it doesn't matter what's hanging on my wall or what's in my bank account or who I'm married to or how great and beautiful my kids are. I have to trust that he knows more than I do. I have to trust that he's taking me to a place that maybe I haven't been before. I have to trust that he has a path figured out for my life that maybe I just am not aware of. I have to trust. As the old song says, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So Peter trusts. They launch out into the deep. And he experiences something that as a fisherman he's probably never experienced before. He experiences the increase that only God could bring. What if on the other side of your trust is the thing you've been believing for? What if on the other side of your trust is the answer you've been longing for? What if on the other side of your trust is an experience that will take you to a level maybe you've never been in your life? Would it be worth it? If you just trusted in a greater way, if you trusted him and his instruction and his path to realize that you see as a finite being a piece of the puzzle, but God sees the finished puzzle. You see a little part, but God sees a beautiful mural. You see just this step of obedience, this time in prayer, this sacrifice of giving. But what if in all of that you're trusting and God sees, okay, I'm working behind the scenes. What if it's like the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1 and verse 6, being confident of this very thing. The work that he began in you, he will be faithful to complete it. What if God is working more in your life than you realize? What if he's completing things? What if you should just hang a sign on your heart that says, I'm under construction? <laughs> what if God's working in your life in ways that you don't even realize? And what if all of that is helping you to get to another place where you can experience him in a greater way? Because what I know is that when you experience God in a greater way and you, you experience his, his power working in and through your life, it's never just for you to feel better. It's never for you to just, oh, praise God. It was an awesome service. I, I, I got touched by God. No, no, no. There's always a purpose for his power. There's purpose for his power. When he displays his power in a place or in a person, it's for a purpose. Do you remember when Jesus, and I'm getting off track a little bit, maybe it's the Lord, when Jesus crossed over in the other boat, 
And they went through the storm, and they got to the other side, and there was the demon-possessed man waiting for them on the other side. They went through a storm the disciples knew not of, but Jesus was with them, and he calmed everything, and it was for a purpose. And the purpose was in the form of a person. He just didn't look very good. It was for a person, but he was bound. It was for a person that wasn't very prominent. He was actually very oppressed. What if on the other side of your trust is a person that God may allow you to reach at your business, in your neighborhood, through your family? What if there's some people waiting on the other side? The other thing I see through this story is the power of worship. Not only did they sacrifice, not only did he trust, but he understood the power of worship when it says he fell to his knees. He fell to his knees as a sign of surrender, as a sign of worship, saying, I, I had it all wrong. I, I thought this is how you fish, but obviously the master knows more than I do. Lord, he just began to worship. He began to surrender. It was at this moment his life was entirely changed. I believe it's probably because he realized a fact that most of us maybe forget about this story. And that is that when Jesus stepped into his boat, and he taught the people, that when he spoke to him and said, launch out into the deep, he never got out of the boat. Now, I've read this story, and I've heard it taught, and I learned it in Sunday school, but somewhere in my mind, I always thought, Jesus borrowed the boat, they came back to the shore, he stepped on the shore, and now he looked at Peter and said, okay, Launch out into the deep. I always thought that's how it went. But then as I read the story again, and I read it again, I never see Jesus getting out of the boat. In fact, the scripture says it this way, that after he, he, he taught the people, he just simply looked at Peter, or Simon at the time, and said, okay, launch out into the deep. And then I realized, he would have never told a person on the shore to launch out into the deep. He would have just said, go out into the water and fish. But it's only because he was already in the boat, in the water with him, that he could say, okay, now it's time to go a little further. Okay, now it's time to go a little deeper. Okay, now is your opportunity. You sacrificed, you learned, you were sitting here listening. Now, the miracle that you worked all night for, the miracle that you toiled for, that thing that you've been banging your head up against, that frustration that you have, that discouragement that you have, I know it feels difficult, I know it's hard to bear, I know you don't understand, but actually because you did that, I'm about to do something else. All right, Peter, launch out into the deep. Launch out into the deep. Let down your nets. Let down your nets for a catch. The master was with him the entire time. You want to know what you have to worship about today? You have a reason to worship because Jesus is still with you. You have a reason to shout because he never left your boat. You have a reason to worship because he's still working in your marriage. He's still working in your family. He's still working in your business. And I want to encourage you today that he won't leave you and he won't forsake you. He's still with you. But there's power in your worship. And even if you can't sing very well or play an instrument, worship is not something that you do on Sunday during 25 minutes, the beginning of the service. Worship is a posture in your heart where you surrender it all to Jesus and you worship him. You worship him not because of what you get from him, but because of who he is. You worship him because he's worthy of our praise. You worship him because he's not going to leave you. You worship him because he gave it all for you. 
We have a reason to worship. We worship with our entire life. Recently, when we were in Kenya, we had an experience with these kids, about 600 of them that were worshiping out in the middle of the desert. There's a school, there's some homes that were built for them. These kids that were orphaned, now rescued, taught the word of God. They began to worship in a way that I haven't experienced in quite a while. They didn't have all the technology. They're just a simple building with some lights and a guitar. But they began to worship in a way that really spoke to me out of the hunger on the inside of their hearts, but also out of the gratitude of all that God has done. And I thought, if they could do it there, and we look at our lives, look what God has done. God has done so much for us. And I want to share this video with you as we close out in our time of worship together to encourage you to magnify Him at all times. Stand to your feet all over this place. Come on, just out of a response in your hearts, just begin to worship Him. Come on, you need a personal revival today. It comes in the presence of God. It comes through the power of God as you worship, as you exalt Him. Come on, 